Um, okay, so we are starting a new sermon series in the book of Daniel. If you're just new to Zionsville Fellowship, my name's Drew, one of the pastors here, and we usually take this time to walk through uh, text of the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word to us, and so um, my job may, is mainly not to try to think up wisdom for myself to share with you, um, but really to unfold and expose God's word so that we can hear God's word and its implications for our life together. So we often move through books of the Bible, and so we're going to begin a series this morning in the book of Daniel. So so if you have a Bible with you, um, you can open up to Daniel. You can find it in the table of contents if you don't know where it is. Uh, or the text this morning's printed for you on the lyric sheet. And I am so excited for the series. I know many of you have already shared with me that you're excited about this series. Um, kids, I think you will love um, some of the stories in the book of Daniel and find that it's relevant to our life and important for our life. I love this book. We gave Chase, um, our, our son, the middle name Daniel, from this book. Um, and this is one of the most relevant books for understanding how to engage as faithful witnesses of Christ in our culture. So cultural engagement is important. Um, and we need this right now. This is, uh, you know, we're, we're entering into an incredibly contentious election season. Uh, things are going to get wild. We saw how it was four years ago. We do not know what to expect. Um, and and I think I can say this, that there is no candidate available right now, there is no political party available right now where Christians can feel 100% at home. If we feel like a, a current candidate or political party is just, man, we are 100% in, and we don't have any hesitations, there's something off with our convictions and values. So I'm not saying anything about which way to lean. I'm not, I'm not doing any of that right now. I'm just saying that our options aren't good. Uh, this is a hard time. And how do we live in a country where people are going to be really frustrated with one another about this situation? Um, we are also being separated with all sorts of divisions across all sorts of divides. And, and we will be prone to take one of a few uh, um, actions or postures toward our culture. And these are typical in any culture. So if you want to think of like three common approaches to engage with culture as Christians that, that are not ideal, it'd, it'd be these. One is to just separate totally from culture. Just kind of pull out altogether. Uh, another option would be to fight culture. Use militant language um, and, and go after and dominate, coerce. Another option, the third option would be to just completely assimilate. Just uncritically go along with what's happening. Uh, but the Bible calls us to a different model, a different posture, uh, one of engaging with love, with wisdom, with courage, with gentleness, with faithfulness, um, to be faithful witnesses to Christ in our culture. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us so much grace. He has died for our sins and risen again and given us his spirit. Um, he invites all to come to him, all who are weary and burdened by the weight of this life, to come to him, to unload our sins upon him, to receive forgiveness. And then he sends us back into this world to be a community of light, to witness to our neighbors and coworkers and school friends and family members. And he calls us to do this with faithfulness and with joy. So how do we do this? Well, the book of Daniel is here to show us. So two quick questions before we get into chapter one. Uh, first question is this, what kind of book is this? Uh, well, it's a combination of two kinds of writing. Uh, 
First is narrative, story, historical narrative. That's the first six chapters. There's six stories in the first six chapters of Daniel and his friends and some other things. And this is presented as historical. This isn't mythology. This is real space-time history. There's historical markers at the front of these sections of these stories. The second kind of writing is the last six chapters, and, and that's um, four visions. So we have six stories, then four visions. And this kind of writing is what's called apocalyptic. Apocalyptic refers to an unveiling. It's, you know, God is pulling the curtain so that we can see behind the scenes of what's really going on in the world, what's, what is our hope for the future. So it's, it's a symbolic, symbolic visions of God's perspective on what's going on and what will happen in the future. So we can see his plan. So that's the first question. What kind of book is this? But second, why is it here? And the answer to that question is to show us and to teach us and to encourage us how to thrive in exile. Daniel and his friends were Jewish believers who were living in Babylon, away from their home. They were living in a culture that they were not at home in. They were living with temptations to compromise their faith. They were in exile. And they lived, though, as faithful witnesses to the one true God in their culture. And they're thriving in exile because God is with them, God is blessing them, and God is enabling them to be faithful to him. And, and God gives them, in this book, we see the hope of the coming of Christ and an eternal kingdom. That's really what Daniel's about. How to thrive in exile because of the hope of the coming of Jesus, the king, and an eternal kingdom. So this is the same situation we find ourselves in, uh, or similar, as Christians today. The world is not our home. Christians will live in countries and cultures that present great challenges to our faith. And so this book is for all of us because we're living in exile in a home, in a world that's not our home. And this book shows us not just how to make it or survive here, but to thrive. We can thrive as Christians these next two months and these next coming years, no matter how dark it gets around us. And that's, the, that's what the Lord has for us. So let's jump into chapter one. Chapter one's an, really an introduction to the book in many ways. So let's read this together and then see what the Lord has for us. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king... King Nebuchadnezzar commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them, so King Nebuchadnezzar assigned these Jewish people, a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. 
Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the stewards took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, all the way through that period of exile. So, who's the main character of this story? God is. We see this in the repetition, God gave three times here in each of the main three sections of this story. And we see that God gives three things to Daniel and his friends. And these are what he gives us too. God gives exile. God gives favor. And God gives blessing. First, God gives favor. Or sorry, God gives exile. The first verse sets the context of the whole book. At the outset, we see God's people here in exile. But these two verses give us two lenses through which to look at the exile that's happening here. And both are important. So one of these lenses is a zoom lens and one is a wide angle lens. Both are important. Verse 1 gives us the zoom lens. So you can see here, this gives us the historical details of when the exile was beginning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This happened at around, or in 605 BC. Before this, Assyria had been the world superpower of the time. And Assyria had actually already taken into exile some of the northern kingdom of Israel. But now Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had just risen to power. They conquered the Egyptians. And now they're coming after Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he's besieged Jerusalem. And he's taking some of these people away in exile. This is the first of several waves of exile for Jerusalem and the land of Judah here. Eventually he'll destroy many people. Many places, people will be killed. It, uh, Jerusalem will be uh, broken down. The temple will be destroyed. And it actually looks like God's defeated here. Nebuchadnezzar, you see in these first couple verses, it says he took vessels from the house of the Lord, from the temple, and he brought them to his land and put them in the temples of his God. 
his false god. And that was a way of saying, my God conquered your God. So everything looks like Israel's done. It's the end, beginning of the end for them. And Israel's God is done. He's defeated by the Babylonian gods. But then verse 2 gives us a wide-angle lens of what's happening here. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. This is why we can say that God gives the exile. What a striking thing to say. This exile, this horrible, terrible, historic event. And yet God is sovereign over it. God gave Jehoiakim over. God gave these uh, vessels from the temple over. God's actually in control. He's sovereign. This is mysterious. You know how God sovereignly ordains things like this when Nebuchadnezzar is just doing what he wants? But the Bible affirms God's sovereignty and human responsibility, God's sovereignty even over a calamity like this while remaining good and having good purposes. And this wide-angle lens shows us that even in terrible events like this, God has a plan. There's a bigger story going on. There's a bigger picture. So if we ask of this story, if God is sovereign and good, if he's all-powerful and all-good and all-wise, why would he let this happen? And the answer is, he has purposes. There's a bigger story going on here. And that bigger story is that God is judging his people at this moment. He has rescued Israel from Egypt in the past, right? He entered into a covenant relationship with them and he called them to love him and obey him. Not perfectly, but truly. Sacrifices were there for their sins. They, they were just to hold fast to him, to love him, to obey him. And if they did, they'd remain in the land. They'd be blessed. And if they refused and they hated God and they refused to obey him, he said that he would judge them eventually, Leviticus and Deuteronomy tell us, eventually with exile, being brought out of their land to another place. And this is the unfolding of that promise. God is being faithful to his word here. But this po points to hope as well because God even said in those earliest days in Israel's story in, in Deuteronomy that after the exile, God would restore his people again. So there's a bigger story going on here and this isn't the end. So he'll bring them grace. He'll bring them forgiveness. He will send a savior who we know is Jesus to renew the world today, one day. And so this sets the stage for the rest of the book. Israel is in Babylon because God gave exile. Now here's how this relates to us. And this is really important for understanding the relevance of this book. Because otherwise we can look at this book and say, okay, six stories of past narrative, things that happened back then. And four visions of the future, things that will happen in the future. What relevance does this have for us today? Well, here's where this matters. This is a framework to understand who we are and where we are in God's purposes in the world. And it has to do with this word exile. So let's take a zoom lens even further back. And let's go back to the beginning. This is a brief overview of the Bible with this lens of exile. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. They were at home with God in the world. But when they rejected God, he sent them out of the land. And that was sending them into exile, east of Eden. And we come now into this world. Everyone is born outside of Eden, outside of our true home, apart from a relationship with the Lord God, east of Eden. When God formed Israel, though, he was making them like a new Adam, planting them in a new Eden, the land of Canaan, giving them his presence with the temple. It was like Eden again, at home, with God. But if Israel failed to love and trust God, he had promised from the beginning that they, he would send them into exile. And just like Adam and Eve, 
they failed. They did reject him. And just like Adam and Eve, God sent them now into exile. That's what's happening here in Daniel. As we see Daniel and these friends being taken out of Israel into Babylon, that's a picture of Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden into exile. They're in exile. Now, eventually, after about 70 years, some of these Israelites got to go home. And we call that the end of the exile, but it really wasn't a full end of the exile. They returned to their land, but in many ways, the exile never ended. Uh, they were still oppressed. They still suffered. They were not at home in the world. The Israelites who returned to the land after this would even say, we're still slaves in our land. And they recognized their hearts were not changed. The Lord didn't renew the world. We were not, we're not home. The world's not like Eden again. Um, and so they're, they're longing for a savior and God's kingdom to come. And eventually Jesus did come. And one of the ways we can think about the purpose of Jesus coming into the world is this. He came to bring us out of our exile. To bring us back home. To bring us back home to himself to the Father and the Spirit, and eventually to bring us into a new creation, a new Eden to come. And he did this by coming to die and rise for us. In, in many ways, the cross is Jesus going into the deepest exile for us. Separated from God's presence of blessing, taking upon the hell of punishment and isolation, hell is the ultimate exile. Jesus took that on the cross. He came to take our eternal exile upon himself so that through his resurrection, we can join him in that resurrection and never have to go into that exile. He took it for us. And now he welcomes anyone to come home. That, that's what the message of the gospel is. Your exile has been taken if you trust in Jesus. He took it on the cross. Come home. Be restored to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Know the Lord God again. Be gathered together into a new humanity. I mean, look around on this hill. That's what this is. And those joining us through live stream. We're a new humanity, a new Adam and Eve restored to God. And it's in part because we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return to renew creation. Where we'll be at home with the Lord and his people forever. Never having to endure the eternal exile of hell. It's for all who trust him. And anyone's welcome. If you have never come home to God, he welcomes you to come home right now. You turn from your sin and you, you come to him by faith. You make that journey from exile to your home just by clinging to him through faith. And he welcomes you. And, and if you do that this morning, I would love to talk to you. Or if you have a Christian friend, please let them know. We'd love to talk with you how to uh, be joined in with God's people um, and grow as a Christian. And so we're waiting for that future home. So there's this already not yet dynamic, isn't there? We're already home as Christians in Christ. And yet we're not yet home. And this is why Jesus said that Christians are in the world, yet not of the world. This is why um, James wrote to Christians and he called them the uh, exiles of the dispersion. The 12 tribes. He said to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. This is why Peter wrote to Christians and called them elect exiles of the dispersion. This is why Peter and John referred to Rome in their time in the Roman Empire as Babylon. The kingdoms of this world are Babylon. We live in Babylon as exiles. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and yet we find ourselves sojourning here. So here's what this means for us. America is not our true home. No country is. America is not the promised land. 
as Christians, we feel out of place here. We feel out of place with any political party, with any political movement in this age. But God is sovereign over our situation. We are in exile, but God is with us. And he'll one day bring us out to live into a new creation forever. But until then, we're living as exiles here. But we don't just coast through this. The Lord has us here for a purpose. He sends us on mission to make disciples, which means living as light in the culture where we find us. Not fleeing it, not trying to dominate and coerce people to, to know and obey God, not just assimilating into it and looking no different from the world, but living as faithful witnesses. And the rest of the book shows us how to not just survive exile, but thrive. We can thrive together in these coming days in our exile. And that's what the rest of chapter 1 shows us. So let's consider the rest of chapter 1. The next gift that we see that God gives is he gives favor. Now we're introduced to Daniel and his friends, and I would love to take an hour here. Um, but we'll just get to stuff throughout the rest of Daniel. But this chapter is incredible and has been such an encouragement to me over the years. Um, so we're introduced to Daniel and his friends, and we see how they handle the, ex the challenges of exile. So in verses 3 to 4, the king... Nebuchadnezzar brings some of the people out of Israel and he brings them into exile. And in particular, you can see who he chose. He chose youths from the royal family or from the nobility. He chose the best and the brightest. And Daniel and his three friends are part of this group. They may be as young as 14 years old. So if you're kind of in your mid-teens, that's probably about how old Daniel and his friends were at this time. And Nebuchadnezzar plans to assimilate them into the Babylonian culture. I mean, this is the challenge of exile. How do we live as faithful disciples of Jesus in Babylon? Well, there's four ways that the king wants to assimilate Daniel and his friends here. And what's striking is that Daniel and his friends go along with the first three, but then say no to the fourth which shows us right away living as faithful exiles is going to be way more complex than just saying that's part of this culture, no. Nor, well, let's just uncritically go along with everything. Right? This takes wisdom. And we've got to think it through. So yes to three, no to one. So what do they say yes to? First, education. The king wants to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans for three years. This is one way to change people. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to indoctrinate them. I mean, if you have concerns about indoctrination of any regime or culture, our culture, like that's what this is. And they, I mean, they don't have a choice here, so we have a choice often, but they don't have a choice. But either way, look at how they're responding to this re-education program. This would be math, uh, the science of that day. They learn astrology, pagan practices of divination. They learn these ancient Babylonian religious stories. And how do they respond? They went along with it. And by the end, they were at the head of their class. This shows us two extremes we need to avoid. One extreme says we just need to completely separate from learning about what our culture learns about and from the values of our culture. We can't even learn it. The other extreme would be just to uncritically accept it all. Just go along with the education, values, whatever is a New York Times bestseller list. But Daniel excels in this pagan education system without compromising his faith. How? Uh, because the information itself is not dangerous. It's not dangerous to learn what other people think. It's dangerous to uncritically accept it. Christopher Wright put it this way. They needed to know what the Babylonians believed, but they didn't need to believe it themselves. Now, this takes a ton of wisdom, but that is the way of wisdom. 
So for us today, it's helpful to know what our culture thinks and believes and values and why. We should be familiar to some degree, some of us maybe more than others, depending on our situation and context and vocation, but we should be familiar with the literature of our culture. What shapes our culture? We should be familiar with what philosophies impact our lives today. We should learn about influential ideas right now, like what some call expressive individualism. Or we should learn about critical theory or critical race theory. We should learn about or intersectionality. These words that we hear, what do they mean? Why do people believe these? Why are they so influential today? What might be helpful? What might be harmful here? And we should learn what people mean when they say phrases um, like Black Lives Matter. Right? We need to discern how are people using that phrase? What does it mean? Because people use it in different ways. Right? Some incredibly wisely and in needed ways. And some in very unhelpful and harmful ways. So this just takes wisdom. Wisdom to learn, to listen, to understand, to gently ask questions, and to use discernment. So that's the first topic, education. No doubt Daniel's friends are hearing stuff and they're trying to think through it. What do they mean by that? Why do they think that? What's true there? What's false there? Second topic is political involvement. Daniel was elected to serve the king. He was educated in order to stand before the king and serve him. Now this king is an immoral king. He violently conquered nations. Daniel's own people suffered greatly under him. But Daniel serves the king and we get no indication in this book that Daniel did, did something wrong there. And, and Daniel eventually became a great blessing to the king. We'll see that this king ends up coming to repentance. He comes to praise the living God, our living God. This shows that political involvement can be incredibly important. We should encourage and pray for brothers and sisters who are serving in public office. We should encourage Christians and be encouraged by Christians who serve in Congress or in local government. I'm grateful for so many of you who have served or do serve or will serve in public office, even with people who you don't agree with. And you, you've got to sort through values, just like Daniel would have. The third topic has to do with their names, just tied to identity. This is a really interesting one because names were not a small thing in that culture. In that time, your name expressed your identity. Daniel and his friends had Hebrew names that expressed something of their connection with God. So Daniel, for instance, is Danny L. L is one of the words for God. God is my judge. All, all of these friends, they had names that tied them to God, that identified them with God. And Nebuchadnezzar changes their names and identifies them with idols. Like their names are, are like idols uh, associated with that. And they went along with it. They didn't, we don't get an indication they resisted it. Now through Daniel, we see the rest of this book. Daniel, who I believe is the primary author here, um, they keep their Hebrew names when they're referred to through this book. But they aren't putting up a fight in their culture about it. Now, the fourth topic's different. Daniel says yes to the first three, and he says no to this last one. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Isn't that a great line? But Daniel resolved. This summarizes who Daniel is. He is a man of resolve. His ultimate loyalty is to God. Now, it's not clear to me, or it seems to most scholars of this book, um, why Daniel did resolve not to eat the meat or drink the wine. Uh, there's a number of possibilities. I land with those that, would, that believe that this is because of what eating from the king's table would have signified. 
The emphasis through this text is not just that he was offered meat and wine, which actually later in the book he seems to not have a problem with, um, but it has to do with the king's meat and the king's wine and the meat and wine from the king's table. That, that's the emphasis in, I think, five different places in this chapter, maybe six. In that culture, meals symbolized uh, loyalty, dependence, friendship. And so this was a line too far for Daniel. He resolved he couldn't cross that line. This would violate his conscience, which is bound to God. We'll all come to lines like this. Maybe you can think now of lines that you've come to like this, where crossing that line would have meant compromise. And either you did it, and you're grieving over it, and you either have or need to repent of it, or you remember not crossing that line, and it was really hard, and there was maybe some suffering or loss that you endured. Maybe your boss will want you to compromise your integrity by shading the truth, even in a small situation. Maybe you, you'll be like the drugstore owners from a few years ago who were forced to sell abortive pills. Maybe you're asked to participate in euthanasia. Maybe you'll be asked to dress in a provocative way for your job. Maybe you'll be um, asked in the field of comedy to be promoting things that create laughter and a sense of things that the Lord despises and would never want us to laugh at. Maybe you'll be asked to sign a statement of, on inclusion or affirming certain practices that don't fit with God's design for gender and human sexuality. Dan, Daniel shows us there are lines out there that exiles will not be able to cross. And out of love for God, we have to say no. We have to resolve. But Daniel also shows how we do this in that we do it in a way that also loves our neighbors. This is incredible to me. I love this story for what he does next. He doesn't just say, no, you can't make me do this. Or no, I won't do this. He doesn't get angry. He respectfully strategically, asks for an exception. And look at verse 9. This is the key statement. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So God's at work here. And Daniel's trust, entrusting himself to God and God takes care of him. And now Daniel makes a creative plan. He asks another leader in verse 12. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. By the way, this has nothing to do with like the Daniel diet, right? So... Um, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, do you see what he's doing? He's looking for a creative solution. He's trying to find a way to honor God and not get these leaders in trouble. The chief eunuch's like, listen, it's my head if I let you do this, right? So, and Daniel could be in trouble. They could be in trouble. So he finds a win-win. He has both courage and kindness. He's both loving God and loving his neighbor in this situation. And this is a great model for us. This is the model for us. When we come up against these lines, we don't just cross the line uncritically. We don't just angrily put our feet down and say no. Instead, we, we find a way to not cross the line, but to honor people around us. We find creative win wins instead of being rude about it. So this is the challenge we'll all face and it's especially going to be challenging in our school settings, in our workplaces. So here's one example of what it can look like. I remember hearing about a woman named Megan Alexander and uh, she shared her story. She worked in television 
and her program was going to highlight the best dress from an award show the previous day. And the best ones that everyone talked about were immodest. And they wanted her to wear one on the show to show it off as part of this program highlighting the best dresses. And she wasn't comfortable doing this. Right? It was a line she wasn't willing to cross. So what did she do? She didn't just say no. She didn't say, uh, just go along with it anyway. Instead, she looked for a creative solution. She looked for a win-win. So here's what she did. She found another popular dress from the show that she would be comfortable wearing. And she suggested that they go with that one. And they were willing. And it worked. And so she honored their desire to wear a dress from the show that they were highlighting. And yet she honored God by not dressing immodestly. Creative solution. Win-win. Daniel-like courage and kindness. And that's what Daniel did. And remember, Daniel was probably around 15, 14 years old here. So for, for those of you who are younger and in school, the Lord can give you this kind of creativity, this kind of courage uh, to stand firm before the Lord and to love your friends and parents. You know, Daniel and his friends probably did not get this kind of resolve just out of nowhere. This comes from intentional parenting. Uh, let's teach our children to engage with culture. Teach them about the challenges that they'll face. Let's model for them what it looks like to have courage and kindness in these kinds of situations. And I know some of you have, and I've been encouraged by your example. So I encourage you all the more. All right, this leads to the final part, real brief. God gives blessing. So how did it turn out for them? Well, it worked. They only ate vegetables for the three years, and yet they were healthier than the rest. God honored this creative approach. And verse 17 says this, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God's blessing them in exile. So Babylon is better for Daniel having been there. Your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, your classroom can be better for having you there. But it will be challenging because you've got to figure out where to say yes, where to say no, and how to do it in love. But through it all, you have God's presence and his blessing. And so this is really what the Lord's Supper reminds us of as well, which we're going to participate in here. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper the night before his death. And he connected this meal to his death. He said the bread was his body and the cup was the new covenant in his blood. And this meal was a meal that celebrated our return from exile. Because on the cross, Jesus took our deepest exile upon himself. The exile from God's presence, the punishment of hell. And he took that for us so that in his resurrection, we can be joined to him in this new life. So that we can be brought home. So that we can have home, our home in heaven with him now and his presence with us, and the new creation to come. And so that means for all who trust in Jesus, our exile in the deepest sense has ended. And so we live as exiles now, but with thankfulness and hope. Thankfulness because Jesus took our exile to bring us home, and hope for the fullness of our home in the new creation to come. And we're doing this together. So this is a gathering of exiles who are home. We're both at home and both at exiles, and we eat this meal with the Lord's presence with us, reminded that in, in the most significant way we're home, and yet we still long for the new creation to come. So let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to do this a, a bit differently than we usually do. So many of you have already grabbed 
um, the bread and cup on your way to your seat. Um, and if you are going to partake of, of this meal, if you're trusting in Jesus and walking faithfully with him and his people, we encourage you to do that. And if you haven't received this, I think there still should be some available up front. Is that right? There's still some around? Okay, so you can come forward during this next um, song and grab this. We'd love for you to do it. And um, we'd love to enjoy this. So use this time in this next song to reflect um, on what it means to be brought home, to repent of any unconfessed sin to the Lord, to rejoice in his forgiveness and grace. So for all of us, let's use this time for those purposes. Um, if you're not yet trusting in Christ, we encourage you to just use this time uh, to consider what, what does it mean to trust in Jesus and consider, ask him to make himself real to you. So let's pray and then we'll sing and then after the song, I'll come up and we'll eat together. Our Father, we unite our hearts together in your presence. Thank you for sending Jesus to endure the, the capital E exile that we dread and do not want to face and praise to you. We don't have to. Thank you that he rose again. Thank you that you sent your spirit to us to be with us. We thank you that you give us this model of being a faithful witness in our culture. We pray that we would be that. So we pray that you'd stir our hearts with thankfulness and hope in these next few minutes together. In Jesus' name, amen.